Show number three of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. This is LT, Lena Taylor. And this is JK, Jungle Kitty. And welcome to our podcast. Look, Look at, at his butt! Hi, welcome back! Hello, hello, we are back. We're actually up to show three and we're just so excited. Yes, we are. We've got two shows posted and some lovely basket shots posted for all of you to enjoy. <laughs> and uh, and we know you have been enjoying them because you've been downloading things and we've been hearing from you. And so we're very excited to we, be at show number three. We have a fan base. We have a uh, fan base. And hello true. to both of you. Yeah, <laughs> we're so excited. And, and as of this week, we should be listed in most of the major podcast directories, which is a good thing. So our fan base will increase by exponentially, probably. Leaps so and it, bounds. It'll double at least. So there'll be four. That'll be four. Of just two. Good. Then that cancels out the fact that you and I are um, downloading our show as fast as we can just to drive up the hits and make ourselves feel good. Um, want to talk a little bit, uh, following up on some stuff that came up last week. Um, as we said on last week's show, we were recording with Skype, which is like a telephone over a computer. And the next day when I listened to the recording on my iPod and heard my own voice, I went, who is that? <laughs> because I was like talking like this. And uh, and I know some of you noticed because you did write to me about it and say what happened there, and that was Skype and and so we're um, we're still playing with technology, but we shouldn't have that problem today. We hope, but um, I got to thinking about that a little, and you know what I liked about that? What I sounded taller. <laughs> I thought I sounded taller and brawnier, like maybe I had a little bit of um, female rugby player in me. That could be. Your voice sounded a little slower to me. But like, it was like deeper. More it, thoughtful. It was deeper. And, and I was thinking, who is that? And my first thought, the image that flashed into my mind was not myself. It was Mo Gaffney. Like I was maybe built like her. And then later I was thinking, well, who is she? You know, what else? Because I don't know if everybody knows who Mo Gaffney is. She's a very talented actress. And I was thinking, okay, I sounded like I kind of had the build that... Uh, Tom Hanks had when he was in drag in Bosom Buddies. Ah, like that. Yeah, okay. and I sounded, um, like I say, brawnier. So and... Tom Hanks, but not Peter Scolari. No, no. And I didn't speak. <laughs> and, you know, there's sort of girly voices that they think is how girls talk. And apparently in movies you can get away with this and on TV. But anyway, so I kind of enjoyed sounding hearing myself sound pretty butch. Well, that's cool. Well, if we ever do it again and we have that same problem, because it did sound that way to me when I was listening to you like talking. I, like I could beat you up? Um, yeah, you should just talk higher. <laughs> oh, okay, and I'll you talk really like fast, and then it'll all equal out. It'll yeah. be like, you know, sort of the reverse of how they did the Elvin and the Chipmunks movies, yeah. or recordings. And actually, I read something about them the other day. <laughs> a guy who was... Um, a big, or the owner or founder of the record company uh -huh. that produced the Elvin and the Chipmunks records died. Oh. And they mentioned them, the Elvin and the Chipmunks. He is survived by Elvin and the Chipmunks <laughs> in his obituary. But um, they all three Chipmunks were named after executives at this <laughs> company. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, I like I that. I thought that was fun. That's so hilarious. That was um, a, an obituary that will live on <laughs> in fame. So you wanted to talk a little bit about 
Michael and Evo. Oh, that's right. So in the the last show, I had a little rant about um, one of the promos that's on the um, one of the Michael and Evo podcasts, which is called Slice of Sci-Fi, which I really enjoy a lot. But the promo was just offensive to me because it's this sultry-sounding woman named Victoria who promises to make it worth your while to vote for their podcast on and Podcast Michael Alley. Michael and Evo, I want you to keep in mind that I defended you and Victoria, <laughs> Veronica, Vanessa, whatever her name was. But continue, please. So, you know, my point of view is basically the only thing that Victoria can do for me to make it worthwhile to vote for them is to come to my house and paint my kitchen or something because whatever she's not going to be giving me a blowjob which is I think the implied thing well we don't know that that's true so um the funniest thing about this was that in trying to get our show listed at um, iPotter.org in the big directory, I had to go to the science fiction, the Star Trek section, because this is a podcast about Star Trek. Ostensibly. Ostensibly. Although we may bring up Alvin and the Chipmunks. Uh, b- believe it or not. And who is the editor of that particular section? It's Evo. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Oops. So I, I thought, you know, fuck it. I sent in our podcast, and he wrote me back immediately and said um, that, the problem was that no one disses Vicky on my watch, <laughs> which was pretty amusing. And he said, okay, so that's really not such a big deal, though. I got a chuckle from your commentary about our little Victoria. So thanks for having a sense of humor about that. But we are uh, making every effort to get ourselves listed in um, <clears throat> podcast directories and, right. and so, places like that. So if you use a podcatcher like iPodder or one of the other ones that are out there, um, you will be able to get our feed and just pop it into your subscriptions, and then you won't have to download them by hand anymore. And I also um, meant to mention that uh, over at Apple, Steve, Steve J, said that the new version of iTunes that's coming out in a couple of months is supposed to have um, some kind of podcatching technology actually built into it, so you don't need iPodder anymore. So we'll see if that we'll actually see. happens. That'd be we'll cool. See. That would be great. But we'll be there. So if you go to iPodder, go to the Star Trek section, and there are only two other shows listed, and one of them is Michael and Evo, and the other is the horrible Paramount um, accompaniment to Enterprise that you're supposed to listen to while you make your way through those episodes. Now, I haven't listened to it. Do they Do they actually um, have, like, the actors saying, well, that was a bad shot of me, and I did much better, but they decided um, that the dog was better in that scene, so they went with that? Or You know, I don't know. Oh. I don't know if it's the actors or the writers or the producers. You know, Or the Q-tip scenes and crowd scenes talking? It could be any of those people. <laughs> or it could be just some fan That's providing true. commentary. Some fan know. who got there first, you know, and, and yeah. sort of... Bowled his way into uh, Paramount and I said, really don't know. give me a podcast, an official one, guys. I, I'll plug you like mad. I don't know, and I probably never will know because pretty much you couldn't pay me enough to listen to that. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, but maybe one of our listeners will listen to that. That's and, true. Uh, and write to us about that. If you know, tell us because you can find us. We're on the web at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. Go That's there right. and leave comments. That's right. And speaking of comments and, and hearing from you, I got um, some great comments this week. Um, from Gordon and Pony Vincent, and uh, these are sort of fanfic buddies of mine who, uh, they are wonderful people, they're really good about sending feedback on every story, and uh, and they always have thoughtful comments, and they actually had thoughtful comments <laughs> about our podcast and about Yay. our second show, and I asked them, you know, could we share this with the rest of you, because it um, it actually is thought-provoking, so I want to uh, to read to you what Gordon and Pony wrote, and uh, they were responding to what I had to say about the Paradise Syndrome and how I found it um, sort of it deepened Kirk's character that he had these regrets about not being able to have a wife and home and that sort of thing. 
and here's what they wrote to me. Something you gals mentioned in podcast two was the regret over the life not chosen in Paradise Syndrome and how Kirk can't settle down. Pony and I did some thinking over this ourselves because we bought the three TOS bricks, and I am so jealous, <laughs> for ourselves last Christmas and we're discussing back then what was, as far as we could tell, Roddenberry's attitude toward marriage. To our amazement, we realized that in nearly any episode, any person who marries or enters a marriage-like relationship either A, dies, B, gets buried, C, leaves their partner and abandons the marriage, or some combination of the above. Spock's parents get to stay married, but even Sarek undergoes death of a sort on the operating table as his penance for marrying. It just struck us as incredibly sad that these guys saw marriage as such a drag or obstacle to be overcome when we've found it such a source of joy, energy, and inspiration. So, first of all, I want to thank you guys for sharing that with us, and that... um. I, I, I love discussions like this where where we're we're, we're really geeking out on, <laughs> on our, our, our Star Trek uh, uh, trivia. And uh, to some extent, I do agree with what um, Gordon and Pony have to say. And to another extent, what occurred to me is I think that's generally true of 60s television. And maybe, you know, television, even to this day, I don't watch too much of what's currently on, so I don't know. So maybe you guys can write to me and, and tell me. But I remember watching Bonanza every Sunday because that was my dad's favorite show, and this back in the days when the family had one television. And they killed off, I think, one fiancé per person per season. So we're talking four deaths. Um, also, at the beginning of that show, from episode one, Ben had three dead wives who apparently got married, produced a son, and, and popped off. You know, they had done their job mm -hmm. and the message I was taking away from this and all the buddy shows which on a certain level Star Trek was the buddies were Kirk mm -hmm. Spock and McCoy was yes you could fall in love and you could consider giving everything up for this other person but then she conveniently died went away whatever and that was a good thing because it always ended with them together with the buddies mm -hmm. again and we all realized oh having this long-term relationship like marriage um, takes away from the fun and adventures you can have with your buddies. Mm -hmm. And I've, I find that sad, that that's the message we're getting on TV, and I think we get it in, in movies, you know, in the, the cop buddy movies and, and all of those. Yeah, women are such a drag. They are. We really are. You know, nobody could ever possibly have any, any fun with us. And, um, yes, I certainly would be a person you would not want to have along on a real adventure that involved real danger, but that is not true of all women. And also I will, you know, just say it depends on your definition of real <laughs> adventure. Oh, we're such killjoys. I, you know, I, I think that that's true. I was just thinking as we were talking about this before, I can't remember, now this is the, the part where I fall down as a Star Trek geek, whether there were actually any rules about whether married people, A, could be in Starfleet, or whether people in Starfleet could marry each other. Well, we know they could marry each other because we had those two people about to get married. Oh, uh, Lieutenant right. Martine. Right, that's right. Yeah. And, and Mr. Dies immediately, <laughs> where Kirk's performing the wedding ceremony. That's right, that's right. So, I And apparently they were not going to be, you know, discharged. split up to, or discharged or split up to, to serve on separate ships. Yeah, so I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about all the other series now. I'm running through them quickly in my head. And on TNG, I can't remember, I don't think there were any major characters who were married. And then on... Um, 
DS9, um, the the main main character Cisco was about to get married. Did he get married? I At the beginning remember. of the series, was no, he about? No, to... no, oh. no, no, no. He had just lost his wife. She had mm-hmm. died. And he had a son, um, and then he had a girlfriend later on. And then I didn't watch Voyager, and we didn't really watch Enterprise, so we don't know right. about those things. But, but the other thing is the women are such appendages because if you yeah. will notice, either they, they die mm-hmm. or Kirk, Spock, McCoy, whoever, Cisco, leaves them. Mm-hmm. But it's never a question of the woman going, you know, I've got my own dog to walk. And, and, and she walks. And the, the one canonically who, to me, I think did that was Carol Marcus. Yeah. She was the one. But we all see that, you know, that's in later, later than the TV series and... We don't know that for a fact. We just know that, that she had a child of his and, and cut him out of her life. And when that TV series was on, that would have been absolutely unthinkable. But it would have been unthinkable, too, for a, for Kirk to be saying to one of the many women he said it to, come away with me, I'll show you the stars, and for her to go, eh. <laughs> Although we did, no, we didn't. I was thinking we got that from that um, that priest in For the World is Hollow, that priestess. But... That was McCoy. That was McCoy. Her. That was the, yeah. That yeah. didn't didn't work out. But I'm, I wonder what happened with uh, the lawyer with Ariel Shaw. Mm-hmm. They never say why they broke up, but she's... I think that wasn't that hot a romance based on that kiss. Well, except that when he asks her how long it's been, she can say it down to the minute. But he, so could two or three other women. They, <laughs> that was like a running <laughs> joke. You know, I think. Kirk actually probably didn't see this, but, you know, he'd say, how long has it been since we've seen each other to some woman that, you know, he's pretty sure he had sex with, and he slips her a little card, and she reads, you know, so he feels feels really good. He feels really wanted by that. All right. Well, that's probably true. I, you know, it's funny. I hadn't thought about this much before, and now that I'm thinking about it, it's really true. So on TNG, there was Dr. Crusher, mother of Wesley, whose husband died. Conveniently. <laughs> Very conveniently. And then there was... Riker's dad, whose wife died, <laughs> and left him to raise young Will Riker all by himself up in Alaska somewhere, because I'm pretty sure that that's what happened. And then, uh, what's her name? Uh, Troy's mother, again. Who was it? A ditz. A ditz, but the husband, the father uh, wasn't around. Yeah, he died. He died. <laughs> and then he died. And, and then, then, he, then died, he died. And then he, he died. died. And so, yeah, that is a really interesting thing, and I, I wonder why they had to do that. I mean, people... People die. They don't get divorced. And I, Okay, so for TOS, they couldn't get divorced, except for McCoy, who got divorced, but they didn't right. say that in the show. It was in the, the background material about him. Right, and I was going to say, actually in the show, um, do they mention his daughter? No, they don't. Okay, so it's all completely background. The right. daughter is, uh, was never actually even mentioned. I yes. couldn't remember. If you sure. have a copy of the writer's handbook for TOS which you can still buy, I guess, through Lincoln Enterprises. I have an original one. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just had to say that. She just had to. I just had to get that in there. Yeah, in the in the envelope that's postmarked, you know, 1967 or whatever. Um, it actually gives you all this background information about McCoy, which they were never able to build in the show, and then they never actually got to film the show about his daughter that they were supposed to. Well, the one they, that was originally written to be about his daughter is the one that turned With into the hippies. hippie episode. Yeah, right. Well, uh, that, was, that was really bad. But, um, and that, that would have been an interesting dynamic, too, to have anybody 
putting the moves on his daughter the oh, way yeah. you know Chekhov was putting the moves on the Russian girl or only it would have been Kirk because <laughs> <laughs> anybody's going to screw his buddy's daughter it's going to be Kirk he is the captain after all so let's see on TNG were there any divorces going through in my head no 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 nobody was divorced they were all either single people or had their significant other get killed or they were robots. Or, or they were robots, <laughs> yeah. And it's probably still illegal in that century for robots to marry. The other thing that occurs to me is um, Grace Lee Whitney uh-huh. has said that the reason she was let go was they didn't want to develop the where Kirk Rand might be going, leaving him free to be with other women. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a pretty... Um, a pretty anti-monogamy sort of mm-hmm. sort of statement. I mean, I'm glad I didn't like Rand, and and I, I liked many of the other women that uh, that Kirk got involved with, and and she just never offered any any real depth. Um, just just you know looked good. <laughs> Some kind of Some kind of good. Somebody's idea of good. <laughs> but um, you know, actually, Gordon and Pony, I, I think you are kind of onto something that. Um, That there is an, an anti-marriage, anti-non-buddy relationship thing going on there. And I think part of it was an accepted parameter of television at that time. But I think part of it was a conscious decision. Uh, no, we've got this captain who, you know, is uh, is chasing every skirt in the galaxy. And we don't want to slow him down. Mm-hmm. So I just thought of the one major exception to this. Okay. And, and it's an exception in a lot of ways. So it's on Voyager, which is a show I didn't watch very much. But it's Tuvok, who's married. And he's got a bunch of kids and apparently a great marriage with his wife that he still has the bond with her and he's looking forward to getting back with her and he dreams about her and the kids and everything. And he's like the one guy who had this relationship, but he's a Vulcan. Of course, he's not human and not even half human like Spock. He's a total Vulcan and he's a lot older than everybody else, you know, relatively speaking on the ship because he's done all these different things. But yeah, he's the one. How much do we know or get to know from the episodes about that relationship? Because there's always been speculation in fandom based a lot on the Spock and T'Pring thing, which is also the exception to what I was saying about the woman never dumps him, because mm-hmm. that is the major dumping of all time, um, to get your buddy killed at your wedding so that she can get out of marrying <laughs> you. But um, there's always been speculation that, well, Vulcan marriages are generally not marriages for love, for relationship, for that sort of thing. It's purely to produce children, and that's part of why Sarah and Amanda were a total anomaly. That's not the way they portrayed it at all. No? I mean, they they had... It wasn't a big part of the show, but when they did deal with it, it was clear that, that there were feelings going on. There's one episode, which I can't remember right now, where he's having a dream sequence where he meets her, and it's a wonderful, wonderful sequence, um, and I had screen-capped a couple things from it because it's the only time you see her. You see his wife, and they meet in the corridor, and they do the thing where they touch the fingers together, and it's beautiful. I mean, they're just like you would imagine Vulcans being. He hasn't seen her for years. She hasn't seen him. They're clearly joyful at seeing each other, but it's so understated, as you would expect Vulcans to be, and it's it's sexy, and it's touching, and it's loving all at the same time. And you were like, and it feels so right when you see it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, the actor's got it right. The, the director got it right. It's all really right. So... Clearly, it's not just a marriage of convenience or for getting their families together or something like that. And he talks about his kids, too, and how he's concerned about what they're doing. Well, good for them for um, for going beyond the expected then and yeah. showing that um, 
that these ongoing relationships are possible and don't have to to be a drag on your television show. And I know a lot in fanfic and in, in some of mine I've thought about these issues is how do you have that relationship if um if one spouse is assigned to a starship and another is on a planet or whatever and you're not going to see each other for years and years, although, you know, Spock at one point says it's his right to request annual leave on his yeah. home planet. And that struck me as, like, really unrealistic. <laughs> but um, maybe everybody else's home planet was Earth, you know, so it's they went something. there once a year or something. Well, it's it's funny that they never really dealt with that on almost any of the series of Trek because stories about military families are, I mean, most people in the military have some kind of family, whether it's their, a spouse or the people that, you know, is their actual family. And doesn't our military actually sort of encourage that? Yeah, because from what it's, I've heard? it's supposed to provide some stability. That's what I was going to say, a stabilizing connection. factor. And so you would think that they could have done stories like that, you know, every other episode on any of the series to explore all of the complexities and the dynamics and how wrenching it must be when you're away from somebody for that long. You know, like, what does that say about you as a person and your commitment to your relationship as opposed to your commitment to, you know, Starfleet? Well, here's another thing now I'm thinking now that we're talking about it. Um, do we ever see a parent-child relationship that isn't strained? <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, you know, on TNG, I was just thinking it's supposed to be on TNG from what I read about this, that the ship was supposed to have families on it. I can't remember whether we ever actually saw any families like, we saw kids like in a daycare. We saw kids in their daycare, but we, we didn't know who they belonged to. And that's as it should be. Uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'll okay. take that one. So there was <laughs> that Worf. one I took home last night just didn't work out. Yeah. So give me the the nice quiet one in the corner. So there was Worf and he had Alexander, but that was a totally fucked up relationship. And then there was Troy and her mother, and that was a fucked up relationship. And Spock and his Spock parents. Spock and his parents. Riker and his parents. That was really messed up. Um, Picard and Picard his and brother, his brother, which was completely messed up. On Voyager, there was a woman who had a little girl, um, and I don't remember the circumstances of that happening. But they weren't Starfleet issue personnel; it was like someone they picked up. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Voyager was so weird. I don't know about that. And then, um, oh, okay. The one example on DS Nine, there was Cisco with his son Jake. And Jake grew up during the course of the, the show from being, I guess he was like 10 or 11 years old when they started, and then he was a teenager at the end of it. And they had, I would say, a normal parent-child relationship where they clearly loved each other a lot. There were strains as Jake was growing up. He wanted to do different things, and his father didn't approve of some of the things he wanted. But it wasn't a messed-up relationship, and they were clearly very affectionate towards each other. So that was one. <laughs> well, you know, now I'm thinking, okay, if you look at the development the evolution, the whole thing, that Starfleet is really like the modern corporation, which for years and years and years was completely Mm anti-family. They didn't want you to have a family. They did, but, you know, it had to be kind of like I I always say, um, Robin Laura Petrie had the ideal child because he would disappear for episodes on end and only show up when he was needed for a scene. So they didn't really want you having these families. And then when that became uncool, they show us a daycare center on TNG, Um, and I think that's how modern corporations are, too. Okay, okay, we understand you want these families. We'll give you a daycare center. But that's only so you can stay here at the office longer and work more. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, again, Star Trek continues to be and always will be a commentary on our times. <laughs> and thank you, Gordon and Pony, for... Look at what you set off. This was a, a, a great discussion. It and is. 
we, we love hearing from you. We love hearing from, from everybody with your ideas and, uh, and just, yeah. just keep telling us. Yeah, send us an idea and we'll, we'll yak about something. We'll do it. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. No, not a real commercial. This is just to tell you that you can find us at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com where you can leave us messages, you can leave us suggestions, or you can send us email. This whole podcast was recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand. So, to leap to our next topic, which has nothing to do with anything we've been talking about so far, which is one of the advantages of our podcast. That's right. It's, it's free form. It is. It it's com- like modern dance. It comes in bite-sized chunks, too. And it probably makes as much sense. <laughs> I wanted to talk about Will Wheaton, because um, I love Will Wheaton, and I don't mean that in a really sexual sense. Well, actually, I do. Okay, <laughs> I, was gonna, I was giving her this look like you don't. Why, why are we talking he's about cute. it? Then? He's cute. Does still... he have a good butt? I, you know, I don't know about his butt. I will have to try to find a picture of him. I, he puts pictures of himself up on his photo blog, and he's still really cute. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about Will Wheaton. So, for people who are listening, most people know who Will Wheaton is because he was Wesley Crusher on TNG, and he had the misfortune of being an actor saddled with a really bad role sometimes, oh. unfortunately. And his major problem was that people identified him with that role too much, and they would say, "Boy, I really hate Wesley." Like, I really hate you, Will, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which was really sad. The cool thing about Will Wheaton is that he managed to leave that behind, and he's become a really good writer. So this is partly a plug for his books, because I bought them and now I'm reading them. And they're really, really good. Um, He has a blog that's called willwheaton.net where he posts pretty often, and he's incredibly entertaining when he talks about life in general and track and the things that have happened to him and um he's uh i i like his opinions in a lot of ways because he's um really lefty like lefty liberal (laughs) which is good you know and he puts links to interesting things and he's always coming out in support of really good causes and you know is willing to be really honest which is not something that you find a lot in people who were actors because they don't feel like they can show them themselves, their true selves. And he doesn't really consider himself an actor anymore. He's a writer now, which is great. He did do an acting stint earlier this year. He was on CSI. I read something about yeah, that. Yeah, and it was supposed to be great, and I didn't see it. Because... Well, I read, what I thought was interesting was the little thing I read, and God knows where it was, because I don't follow his blog, was um, he was saying, you know, how he he is so into writing now, and especially writing his blog, that at times, working on the show, which he loved doing, he had a great time, he said, but he was having trouble some of the time being as present as he needed to be because part of his mind is going, oh, I can't wait to, to write about this. <laughs> Which is the mark of any true writer. It is, it is. That, thinking, that it's all oh, fodder for I the, the, write about the words. That's right. So uh, there are a couple of really good things that he wrote that I specifically wanted to mention. And one was um, 
a, a longish story that was originally posted at his blog, which was reprinted in his first collection of stories called Dancing Barefoot. And a shorter version of it was in his new book, which is called Just a Geek. But he talks about doing a, a convention in Las Vegas, a very special Star Trek convention. And I can't remember why it was special. <laughs> I was going to say, is this like the Special Olympics? Was. Or was, Some, there, was there a hug in the audience going, oh, uh, at the end, yeah. you know? Um, Personal growth. I don't remember. But oh. the reason that it was... Star Trek, a very special convention. <laughs> the reason it was special for him was that he had never been to the Star Trek experience in Las Vegas. And that was part of the whole con thing. Um, they had a group of fans who paid a lot of money to go do the Star Trek experience with some of the actors. So he did it, and one of the guys from Voyager and a couple other people. And to read what he has to say about revisiting or, or visiting for the first time the set that wasn't a set. And he talks about how weird it is to go into this because apparently, I haven't been there, the Star Trek experience really is being like on the bridge of the Enterprise. And he's used to seeing the bridge with the stagehands and the technicians mm -hmm. and all those people. And this was really like being on the bridge of the Enterprise. And it was a complete... Um, mind mess for him to try and sort this out but it was one of the things that helped him come to terms with really enjoying his experience and working with a great cast and doing something that he could be proud of as an actor mm -hmm. and being able to leave behind a lot of the bad things that came out of it and you know having to live with the shame of being Wesley Crusher for all those years. <laughs> well, I want to point out, too, though, that I knew who he was before TNG. Well, he was in Stand By Me. Right, and I remembered him from that. Yeah, he's yeah. a good actor. He's yeah. a really good actor. So so I, I think that um, Will's great, and you should all go read his blog and go buy his book so that you can help him support his family because he has a family that he supports. And he's honest about that, too, which is also interesting that – Despite being on TNG and doing the things that he's done, he lives paycheck to paycheck. And it's not like he's some rich actor who got to live off his earnings from, from TNG for the rest of his life. Like, we kind of think that actors do. And maybe somebody like Patrick Stewart does. But I don't know. I mean, Well, yeah, does, somebody right? like Patrick Stewart and... Um, I mean, Shatner certainly didn't. But not, yeah, not off the series. But that was part of why he and Nimoy, you yeah. know, committed highway robbery mm -hmm. over their salaries on the movies because they knew that the producers and people had gotten mega wealthy and they got nothing off the series. And I think now any actor after who's, you know, like the lead or is one of the main attractions of a show after a s season or two certainly has his agent renegotiating that contract. And if you notice, if you watch TV shows, like after, I don't know, maybe the first year of Sex in the City or something, suddenly Sarah Jessica Parker was an executive producer. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, she did nothing to produce the show. But yeah. they give you that because producers get a different, you know, compensation package. They have what is called participation, mm -hmm. which means they're in on the profits. And apparently it's, you know, it's easier to get that if you're a producer than an actor, whatever. I don't know why, but... When you've when you're on a hit series, if you're part of what makes it a hit, you hit them up for the money. Yeah, yeah. But um, you could arguably say that Wesley Crusher was not one of the uh, reasons TNG he, was a hit. No, despite the fact that he was named after Gene Roddenberry, that's yeah. where his name came yeah. from. So the other thing about Will that um, we have talked about many times is the fact that um, he created the nickname for William Shatner being William fucking Shatner. And yes. <laughs> the reason that that happened was that he met Shatner while he was doing TNG and, and they were filming Star Trek five on the studio next door and went to meet him. And Shatner was kind of an ass to him. And, um, Gene Roddenberry made Shatner apologize. Oh, did he? He did. I didn't know that. 
that. Yeah. He, Ooh, now that, that's... It's a great story. So he read, it's in the book. He says he, he met him and he felt really bad because Shatner was kind of rude to him. You know, basically uh-huh. said, you know, oh, I wouldn't have kids on my bridge. Like, oh, and his heart was broken because well. he was a geek and he went back and <laughs> he was like, oh, man. And everybody heard about it. Not because he was trying to tell everybody, but the word sort of got out that this happened. And he was really, he felt kind of ashamed of the whole thing that mm-hmm. he'd been faced by like one of his yeah. favorite actors. And yeah. Roddenberry got on the phone with Shatner and made him like apologize and send this little card that says Will you are a fine young actor and I would be proud to have you on my bridge any day oh, that made him feel better I didn't know that part of it yeah so but but forever after he was William fucking Shatner right and and uh, I have the t-shirt <laughs> the t-shirt so um and now that you've told us you know a little bit more about him that I didn't know I'm really glad that you spent the 10 15 bucks whatever to um because she was the one who, who got me the <laughs> My Name is William Fucking Shatner t-shirt that I enjoy. And we've actually talked about, you know, we have to start um, wearing our Star Trek wardrobe. Yeah. Which makes you think we're, we're going to be sitting here in uniforms. And as far as I know, neither of us owns a uniform. No. But we do have some cool cool t-shirts. We have things. And that'll be in an upcoming episode. We'll actually do virtual tours of our Star Trek collections. Yes. Which will be pretty amusing. That'll be fun. We might take some pictures, too, yeah. of uh, the things. But the, the, the thing I have <laughs> just gained huge respect for Will Wheaton for is something you brought to my attention, which was his commentary on the uh, the Star Wars fans <laughs> in, in line to see the Star Wars movie. And I want you to share that with uh, with oh, our listeners. It was so funny. Um, th- this was because I don't think we talked about this before, but um, in the context of Star Wars, when the movie was supposed to open in L.A., it wasn't opening where all the other Star Wars movies had opened, which was at Man's, Man's Theater, Grauman's Theater. It was opening across the street at the Arclight, but people didn't know that, so they started lining up at the wrong place. <laughs> and then when they found out it was the wrong place, they stayed, because they were line geeks, and they said... <laughs> We have to maintain the integrity of the line. The integrity of the, the line. line. And anybody who went across the street to wait at the actual theater was branded a traitor and a quizzling and all that stuff. So <laughs> because he lives in L.A., Will Wheaton commented on this and, and poked some gentle fun at the line geeks, and they got really pissed off at him <laughs> and were very vocal about how much they hated him because he didn't understand and he wasn't really a geek and all this. And he wrote a very, very funny response, which is... Um, I think it's cross-posted at his website at willwheaton.net, but also at blogging.la, which is where he also blogs part of the time. And it, it's kind of a play-by-play on the um, some of the alpha geeks who were online, the, the, the line alpha geeks, the alpha line geeks. They, 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 it was an alpha geek, if I remember. Because yeah. you were the one who, who told me about this, and I was just howling. And, and when you got to the part about they split up into clicks... <laughs> Uh, and the, the, I guess the bone of contention was, should they leave and get in the real line to, yeah. to really see the movie? And that's when the whole thing came up about, no, you have to respect the integrity of the line. We're standing in line here at the wrong theater. We know it's the wrong theater, all right. But this is our way of protesting that they've broken the tradition. And my immediate reaction was, my God, what is this, the Judean People's Front? <laughs> no, it's the People's Front of Judea. And not the popular, the popular front, front, though, because they're there. splitters. <laughs> splitters but the follow-up to this was that they actually did, <laughs> did go. 
They actually did all I, get to go see the movie. I just read this. I know. Big I, sigh of I was cruising around blogging <laughs> LA last night, and, and of course, they were having these breathless up to the minute reports because it was such a ridiculous thing, so silly, uh, that they finally caved in and decided to buy tickets, and they eventually got to see the movie. Although there was even controversy about that because the line geeks were saying that they had been talking about this for weeks and that they had negotiated with the Arc Light, which is where the movie was playing, and, you know, it was all planned out ahead of time. Of course, the people who worked at the Arc Light said, you know, we kind of felt sorry for them. (laughs) We decided it would be cool to sell them 300 tickets because, you know, we felt bad that they were standing out there. So So they got pity tickets. I hope you enjoyed your pity pity viewing of the Star Wars movies. And I also uh, actually wanted to take a chance to thank you because I don't read Will Wheaton's blog or a lot of the interesting stuff that you find on the net, but you you summarize and and send me the highlights, which is great. And that's kind of like what I do with Boston Legal, you know, which is I give you the highlights and you watch the Shatner scenes. But the the blog entry that you read me about the the line geeks was so, so funny. And I I want other people to go read this. But it also gave me a really good sig because because in it, Will Wheaton says, if you're going to call yourself a Trekkie, at least read the fan fiction. (laughs) And yes, you must read the fan fiction. And I've been using that for a sig ever since you uh, pointed that out to me. It's so funny. Well, I will find that particular entry. I'll put a link in the the blog for this show in lookathisbutt.blogspot.com so you can all go and read it for yourself and laugh and laugh and laugh. (laughs) All this power surging and throbbing, yet under control. Are you like that, Captain? The next thing that we're going to talk about is Shatner-related. Yay! Yay! Lest we forget why this show is called Look, Look at, at His Butt. butt. Uh, but before we do that, I want to give my, my 15 or <laughs> maybe maybe 20-second Star Wars review because it relates to science fiction. And um, so I went to see the third movie, and um, it wasn't very good, I have to say. And my, my entire opinion of George Lucas is that the things that he does good, like the lightsaber fights and the battles in space, they're really good. The things that he's not very good at, like people talking, <laughs> really suck. <laughs> really pretty much suck big red rocks. And that spoiled it for me. So he's not the kind of director who can make a movie that has both sorts of things in it. He should stick to one and let somebody else direct the other pieces. And, you know, when I saw it, I was like, okay, parts of this were good, parts of it were really stupid. Really, what I thought when I left the theater was, wow, I never have to see another Star Wars movie again, <laughs> which made me happy. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, George Lucas has more money than God. It should have been a better movie. For all the money but he money has... But money doesn't make a good movie, but, necessarily. But for all the, the for all the power that he has, and all the, the stuff at his disposal, you know, he could have had... Steven Spielberg direct the people talking sequences, <laughs> and that would have been great. Or anybody, anybody but him directing the people talking sequences, and it would have been a much better film. Like, he just can't even recognize his own shortcomings as a director, which is so stupid. He's not even self aware enough to do that. And there were so many plot points that didn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, even if you're a total geek, I suppose there were things that didn't make sense, and there were continuity errors and all sorts of things. And, you know, it just should have been a better movie. Yeah, I'm really. sorry Sorry, you had to go and spend the money, but was the popcorn good? I didn't even have popcorn. Oh, what a way. Well, See, I go to movies that I'm only vaguely, maybe, okay, it might be all right, just because there are times when I'm just in the mood 
to sit in a darkened theater and eat popcorn well, and stare. Part of the problem was that I knew it was really long, so I didn't want to oh. drink anything right before. It was like the Lord of the Rings thing where I didn't want to drink for two days before it <laughs> so that I wouldn't have to get up and, and the Lord go to of the, the Rings bathroom. fast. We're going to write a diet book. Yeah. The Lord of the Rings diet. <laughs> so I didn't even get to have that. So, but oh, you know, I, that, I, that would, oh. So I saw that like on Thursday and then on Sunday I went to see that animated movie, Madagascar. I like that much better. Really? Yeah. Wow. Funny. Well, that, that pretty slam, pretty well slams <laughs> the lid on the coffin of Star Wars. I will definitely watch animated talking animals before <laughs> I'll go see another Star Wars movie. Okay, so let's move on to Shatner's butt, which, ah, I can hardly even speak when I say those words. Um, what we want to talk about is um, a movie that was a TV pilot that Shatner did pre-Star Trek called Alexander the, the Great. Great. Not to be confused with that bad Colin Farrell No, no, thing, no. Thing, nothing thing. to do with that. Nothing and actually do. nothing to do with the actual history of <laughs> Alexander, right. too, if you've seen the thing. But um, you can get videotapes of this, but they are copies of copies of copies of copies of somebody filming it off their television. Yeah. And that's what I have, unfortunately. It's very, very bad quality. But, oh, my God, he is so gorgeous. So this is 1964. 1964. It is a movie. It was released in Europe as a movie. That's right. Called Alexander the Great. It was, um, it's in color, isn't it? Yes, it is uh, in, in living, strange, vibrant, <laughs> weird color. But, um, Shatner, you know, is wearing the, the little shorty little skirt. Toga. And just to kind of wet your appetite a little bit, there is a bathtub scene. Yep. Yep. He's bathing. He's getting wet. And there is a wrestling scene. And the first time we saw the wrestling <laughs> scene, we were together, and I think we had some other friends with us too, we were all just screaming, going, because in these wrestling shots, you can see his underwear. And we're going, oh my God, Alexander the Great wears tidy whities yeah. And we went through that frame by, by frame, frame and backwards and forwards so many times and, and just enjoyed it to our, our heart's content. But lo and behold... And this was um, this was posted. It says here on Sunday, April tenth, two thousand five. So this is recent. There is a website called uh, Agony Booth, yeah, and it's dedicated to reviewing really bad movies. And they did a recap of Alexander the Great, and they somehow went to the trouble of doing screenshots of those really bad. I mean, it's it's poor quality. It's better than the one that that you and I have, though. I mean, yeah. it seems like it's a little bit clearer, so maybe they got theirs from a, a better source. Well, they got it from a better source than we do because they saw a two-hour movie. That's right. And the tape I have is one hour, and I read this whole recap, and there's whole huge scenes yeah, that's right. we didn't see. So um, that's another thing, if anybody knows where we can get a copy of uh, this this movie's in it, wonderful two-hour entirety. We promise we will watch it. But if, when you get to this recap, if you really just want to really look at his butt, yeah, go to page four, four. and scroll down just a little, because you will oh, see a screen cap. God. So it's a screen cap of um, Shatner as Alexander engaged in a a fun wrestling match. It's not supposed to be competitive, like you know, to beat somebody up. They're just kind of guys fooling around. Yeah, you know, touching each other, showing their butts off. And uh, someone's picking him up, and his little tiny short skirt is riding way up above his butt. And way up. His, he's got a wedgie. And you can just see that cheek, that and it's, right cheek. It is so round, and it, you you can just see the, the, the round 
globularness of it. You can tell I'm stuttering. You can, people. You can you also look at this. you can see not a tan line, but you can see that the skin of the cheek is a lighter color than the yes. skin of the leg, which is also yes. somewhat interesting. And you can sort of see the musculature where, like, the, the mm-hmm. butt muscle goes into the thigh muscle there, which is really nice. Yeah, and that's connected to the yum, yum, yeah, yum muscle. so it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And they do a very, very funny, oh, funny hilarious. recap of this whole thing. And uh, it is hilarious to watch because it, it's pretty bad. But like I say, he he looks absolutely gorgeous. There's wonderful, wonderful butt shots throughout because yep. of the short skirt. But this particular screen cap, they managed to get it's perfect the the real thing. It is really good. And this is a tape that we drag out pretty much every time when we get together with our friends for a con, for a yeah. con, and then we fast forward to the wrestling scene and the and the bathtub scene, <laughs> the bathtub scene. Well, there's also a scene right after the wrestling scene that just it totally cracks me up, and they they mention it in great detail here too, where there's the beautiful princess that he's ostensibly oh, yeah. in love with, and she's a princess. Okay, this is royalty, and he asks her to dance for him and his drunken friends, and she like sure Alexander, and you know is doing the hoochie coochie wiggle around. I'm going, this is not how princesses act. This is not even how well brought up young women act. You know, you don't dance for your buddies. Your 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 fiance, your lover's <laughs> drunken army buddies. You just <laughs> don't. But um, yeah, it's great. So and it's also got Adam West in it. It's and got Adam West and Joseph Cotton. Joseph oh, poor Joseph Cotton at the end of his career. You know. Oh, and Adam Adam West Shatner spanks Adam West with, with a, sword. a sword. With a sword. I mean, this movie has everything it's except my be- name in the credits. <laughs> It's a really bad movie, but it's totally worth seeing for all this. And if only there was a better quality print of it. Yes, and I will watch the two-hour version. I will watch it with you. Yeah. And we'll see if we can do some screen capping from it. So. Um, and apparently, um, this is the third of Shatner's movies that they've reviewed here on Agony oh, Booth. Really? And I keep meaning to go look at the oh, others. Well, we'll have to talk about the and, other ones. And talk about those. But this is particularly remarkable for the lovely, lovely screenshot they've provided of a very bad quality movie, but they got to the important point. They so sure did. we salute you, Agony Booth. Well, yeah, and can I just say, can I please take credit on the air for inventing the idea of the pay-per-use Agony Booth? Yes! <laughs> I just have to say that because I thought that was brilliant. Yes. It's a quarter for 10 minutes. Right. And when you have Chekhov in there, everybody wants to contribute. Yeah, it's like it's um, in, in the 21st century. That replaces the jukebox yeah. in diners. That's right. That's right. So you put them in there. So so, um, so we've seen, between the two of us and together mostly, we've seen just about everything that Shatner has done, which is I, a little scary. I hesitate to, to lay that claim because we keep well, finding more and more. But we but we watch the stuff that we find. We do. When, when we find something new, we get our hands on it, our hot little hands, and we watch it. And um, and we'll talk about lots of that stuff, including Beat the Clock, because that was just, <laughs> that was crazy. That was sick. That was really sick. Um, so, yeah, Alexander the Great. Check it out. Check it out.